It's the Get Off My Lawn podcast for the week of October 25th, 2015. On tonight's program, we'll hear Alana Miles say, I thought that the devil you do know is better than the devil you don't. <laughs> and that's not true. Yeah. And Tessa Suter tells us about her vinyl fetish. And the, the more I know about music, the more I learn, you know, from being a musician, the more I appreciate what they're doing. That, that's very exciting. So you're just rediscovering and re- being re-inspired over and over again. This podcast is sponsored by Apathy. Yes, Apathy. For when you just can't be bothered. I'm your announcer, Craig, and here's your genial host, Kevin. All right, thank you for that introduction, Craig, and here we are yet again on another podcast. And yes, yet again, Craig is here. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Craig, what's on your mind? Tell us something about yourself. Tell us something exciting, thrilling, an adventure that you've had and experienced you can share. Well, recently I took a pretty cool trip out to New Mexico. We was, had it, the, was it really cool in New Mexico? Well, I suppose comparatively to earlier <laughs> in the season, it wasn't too bad. First chance uh, going out to the uh, White Sands um, National Monument, which is cool. pretty impressive um, as far as things in Alamogordo, New Mexico go. Well, if you're going to go to Alamogordo and you don't go to White Sands. That's kind of the thing to see there. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing they got, do they got a Stuckies? Because I might go to the Stuckies instead. What's a Stuckies? Is it, are we, am I so old? That I don't know what a Stuckies is. Stuckies was sort of, this was again going back on my family road trips. It was sort of the Denny's of its day. Oh. Where in the middle of nothing, there would be a Stuckies. And the big thing about Stuckies, it had the restaurants and the cafe and whatever, but it had this little shop with the most, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like a powdery candy. Could have been cocaine. It was the middle of nowhere. But it was sort of, I don't know, that was, we always had to go to Stucky's, and that was our, our thing on road trips. Dad needs some medicine to keep <laughs> driving down the road. <laughs> More like mom needed the medicine. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I think those must have been all bought out by the Waffle House. That could be. That could be. I, you know, I did a road trip, too, a couple weeks ago, and I did not see a Waffle House. I looked, and I looked, and did not see it. But then I was up farther You were more in the Midwest were. area, yeah. 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 I did do a Cracker Barrel. Hey, so did we. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, Always good. It just the thing We should about, get them as a sponsor. That would be a good sponsor. As we talk about sponsors that we need. Cracker Bell, large portions, uh, clean bathrooms, useful on a road trip. Yes. Um, that is always just, a blessing. Those are nice. You know, we should start like a bathroom review section of the podcast. <laughs> I don't know how popular it would be, but useful for people who need these hey. things. You can always count on the Cracker Barrel. Yeah, don't go to the uh, Love's Truck Stop. Those are pretty rough. Just outside of Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> and any of them in general, it they're kind of rough. It was, uh, there, there may be a lawsuit pending, as I can tell you. I don't want to get into specifics, but yeah, no, no, let's let's not do that. So let's see, so you, you hit White Sands, New Mexico. Anything else cool on your trip? Uh, got to spend some time with family, which was really nice. Very nice. Uh, my, uh, my wife's aunt. Just loving on our kids, which was so nice. Your kids are easy to love on. They're Aww, adorable. Thank you. I don't know what's going on with that. <laughs> You'd think that at least one of them would be obnoxious. You know, you got a 50-50 chance. Well, we, we now have one teenager, so... Well, that... yeah, but he's still tolerable. He's, I mean, <laughs> That's you know, true. He will not let me play with his Transformers, though, because he is deathly afraid that I will do something to them. <laughs> well, he does know that 
That's a serious infraction at our house. I have tried to explain to him that I was transforming Transformers before he existed. Decades a long time before, before he, he existed. existed. Yes. But he does not trust his Transformers in my hands. He, he respects that they are original and some of them in the box. But, but so. he's, he's likable in other ways. He is. You know, he's likable in other ways. So, uh, again, we've gotten a lot of... We've gotten... We've gotten... Now that we've talked about a lot of Cracker time in the Barrel Midwest. and Waffle House... <laughs> We getting some of them electronic mails. Uh, they've been talking about lots of stuff. Now I don't even know what that accent is. It just got really weird, really, really fast. I think we should just move on. Fair enough. Our our uh, our guest today is uh, probably one of my favorite musicians of her era. Um, I don't know if you remember the song Black Velvet. I it sure was do. Certainly a quintessential song. Late eighties, early nineties. Won the Grammy. So yes, this is our first Grammy-winning guest on the show today. It is Alana Miles, and she'll be talking to us at length about where she's been, where she's going, what she's up to, the music business, and, you know, I wanted to know more than anything else how the U.S. industry compares to the Canadian music industry. She is a Canuck. That'd be a nice comparison. And I, because I don't even know, you know, are there a Canadian Grammy Awards? Oh, I would assume. So, but again, I, you know, she won the U.S. Grammy. I don't, you know, so these are the things that we are going to tackle on today's show is, is a music-related, in-depth interview with one of my favorite artists of all time. So let's uh, listen to it. Hopefully you enjoy it. And even if you don't enjoy it, tell me you do anyway, because I need positive affirmation in my life. Joining me today via telephone is a Grammy-winning Canadian singer-songwriter best known in the U.S. for the sultry, bluesy song Black Velvet. Her latest album, 85 BPM, features a new version of that classic hit, along with 11 brand new tracks. Alana Miles, thanks for chatting with me today. Uh, well, I enjoyed uh, your line of questioning and I enjoyed your interviews. I listened for a bit to the uh, podcast and it was quite enjoyable. You're really good at your job, and it was it was really enjoyable. I love the candor that you managed to c- extract from your um, uh, guests. Well, thank you for the compliment. That's high praise indeed. Yeah, we just started it out. Like I said, we've been doing it about a month or two now, and I've just been trying to work with people that interest me, that I think have interesting things to say. So it helps if I'm interested in the topic that, you know, I'm talking about. Uh, I suppose, yeah, it's mutual, but you do a good job. It's really good. That's why I accepted it. I went, yeah, I'd like to be on this. Well, cool. I appreciate that. Well, let Lord me... knows what he'll pull out of me. <laughs> I'm well, a free woman. I'm not signed to a label. They can all, you know, suck my petunias. <laughs> well, let me talk about that with you for a moment, if I can. You started out sure, with I'm a... not going to be de- derogatory, because maybe there's going to be a time when I need them to be sucking a few petunias, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Well, you did start basically by you know working towards signing with a major label, and now you've gone gone rogue, as it were, gone independent. What are some of the advantages or disadvantages of both? In my position, the answer to that question is complicated because recently I've been the recipient of my of, of uh, my entire catalog of publishing with Universal, and it's, it's been taken back, and um, I've managed to. Procure one album returned from Miles Copeland with Arc 21 Arrival, a master's and, and usage uh, for uh, modernization and licensing, all of that. As of this October 23rd, uh, 19, or sorry, 2015, ironically. 
And I've also managed to own my masters and release my own version of a record that was released about 2009 or 10 with an indie label in Canada that shall remain nameless, and it's mine now. (laughs) And in answer to your question, I have to say it's financial. Yeah? Yeah. I was so frustrated, and I I did not know how much I was being, excuse me, I have to use this terminology, rather allegedly ripped off or not. So I just basically, and I was so overwhelmed, I stayed in a bad situation and recorded a catalog of, you know, I know all of this now, I'm the wiser, but it took a year and a half for me to, you know, some learning curves to learn where the money's made, who it's made from, how you align it to all the collectors and all of the above. It was extremely overwhelming, but now I'm getting the hang of it. And I'm getting, I wouldn't say savvy, not yet, but <laughs> I would say I'm doing better than the next guy, and I own two albums, and I recut Black Velvet so that it's available for licensing so that I make my share instead of my, what, 15% of Atlantic share of half? <laughs> yeah, I guess that does so make a difference. It's all about money. I'm now, in, someone asked me the other day, video director, in L.A., a very successful one, really good video director. He um, did Songs of the Kiss for me. It didn't take off in the States, but it was a hit all the way around different parts of the world. I remember it well. 20 years ago, I got 1992, three, four. <laughs> and um, he said, what are you doing these days? Because he wanted me to get involved in a group he was producing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, involved in some kind of production involvement. And it had uh, Dave Stewart's name on it. And, boy, he's impressive. He's such a fantastic A guitarist. B musician, C producer, and shall we go on? You can go and on. I'm not in, uh, in the mid- I'm not performing right now. I'm taking a, a a break until I can regroup and you know make myself ready, if you will. Sure. But right, but I tell you, I've told them I'm an accountant. That's what I've been doing. Well, that's so an important now step. Now I'm an accountant. <laughs> Soon I will have to drop those reins. Now that I know what's going on, I can t- take a breather because I'm getting itchy pants to go back into the creative world and maybe do a Kickstarter campaign. I don't quite know yet what I'm going to do or how I'm going to do it. All I know is, in my mind's eye, I want to make a record. The next record that comes out of me, which will be my one, two, three, four, five, six studio record in my career. Right. And I want to do something really, really soulful, spiritual, indignant, irreverent, <laughs> and, mm, how do I put this? Pleasurable, but it's for rock. Sure. I would expect you know, nothing less. I'm really into this, sort of how Black Velvet was never a gospel song. Right. But, but if you did something like that, you could do it very gospel and very, very, just as long as it's sung really well, it's, like, it's saying something really great, it's in the pocket, in the groove, and the producers and musicians will all come. They'll all, when, when I'm ready, I've got all the songs written, I've been writing every, for years now, compiling a backlog of material now that I own everything, but I, I, I've got to learn how to uh, cross my T's and dot my I's first in the ownership department before I can go forward and then unleash my, you know, let that go, knowing it, it'll take care of itself and I can manage it. I'm not so overwhelmed anymore, so I can address the creative issues at hand. Well, sure. And you mentioned using things like Kickstarter. Have you looked into other new media options, and how has that impacted sort um, of no, the music business? No, I have business? not. I'm not there yet. I'm firstly trying to catch my breath after uh, the past... 13, 14 months of, um, 13 months of May Day. 
of uh, this learning curve, understanding where the money's coming from, how it gets divided up, who I've got to pay when I make money from TuneCore, and my digital sales, all the mechanicals I've got to pay. I've, uh, now they're taking on my administration so they get you know, their 10% cut of my administering my publishing so that that's all taken care of on a global level. And then I'm making you know, my 90%. That's all mine, but it, it, it absolves me from having to worry about what I got to pay in mechanicals to the producers and write, not the producers, but the writers. Right. You know, I want to do things fairly because <laughs> I was so maligned so badly, but they were too. All the money I lost, those millions and millions that add up when you got a catalog that size that has done so well globally, they all add up. They, I could have bought myself 10 houses. And I'm telling you, the so could the writers. <laughs> but you co-wrote a lot of your stuff too, right? Well, that's the point, yeah. yeah. I mean, I get the record recording value for it, much more if I own the master that it was recorded on, but, like, much more. It's a different day. I'm now the record company. However, I don't have the record company pull, nor the, you know, the... the it costs about between 6 to $9 million on any artist to flog out a record and promote it. Yeah. And I don't have that kind of money, and neither does Kickstarter. So... I'm aware that there may be a time that comes, but I doubt it, where something goes viral, something I've done that people go, oh, wow, man, I like that. And whatever it is, thinking, I think I want to manage the reins myself. So if the daughter's the maverick of change, then I want to be the maverick of, um, of licensing, of ownership. I'm, I'm a newbie at this. There's a lot of artists who are still in, you know, they're still um, chained to their old contractual ties. And there are artists I know of and know well who have never seen a dime and never will. Wow. I can't name names, but my <laughs> God, I'm talking about multi, multi, multi-million sellers. Yeah. Multi, multi, multi-million sellers who will never see the money. So I consider myself very lucky that the universe has opened up and that 25 years later, almost to the day, everything has just come back to me. And I'm going to go. Yeah, that's... Before I put any more creativity out there, I felt so victimized, but I just couldn't go out there into the world create anymore. So I did it privately in my home. And now they're all in my head. They're all on tape, you know. I've got them all ready to go. And there's any number of directions I could go in, you know. Hey, when Daniel Lenoir's got some time off, maybe she'd be interested. I don't know. <laughs> well, I was going to say, get, get them out of your head. Get them, get them onto, onto vinyl or something where I can listen to them. Yeah, I will. Eventually I will, um, you know, because it's going to bust forth. But I just want to make sure that when I bust forth, that... Everything is going to be going into the right little file docket. I can't be abused anymore. I've, I've paid for too many people's houses. I'm just waiting till I have a gentle reprieve, and then, okay, now it's time to create, and knowing full well that it'll be mine, I can do what I want with it. And all the, if it, and, and if it's a success, if, if it's a phenomenon, it's not, I don't care, I'm just making good music. Of course, I'm going to make the kind of music I hope people will go, holy crap, and listen for the next 20 years. <laughs> and I'll even involve the same people, because yeah. I'm, I'm still a believer in Christopher Ward. Should I had a nice conversation with him yesterday. He's the author of Black Velvet, among many of the songs on my first record, and then I, I co-authored many of my own after that. But uh, he is a great inspiration for me, and certainly we share such a wonderful, wonderful heritage and legendary classic hit in Black Velvet. Yeah, it's one that you still hear on the radio, you know, all over the place. It's it's a popular well, song. Well, you know, I thank my lucky stars, and I'm 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 very good with him. And I said, when you make a will, just put me in there incrementally for what they ripped me off for. Just <laughs> put me in for a smidge. Just give me a smidge. Give me well, another smidge. There you go. L looking at the industry, would you say Canada or the U.S. are the least fair to artists right now? 
Wow, what a question. I mean, I know you've got extensive experience with both. Um, you know, I have to say that it's all in measure. For example, I thought that the devil you do know is better than the devil you don't, <laughs> and that's not true. Yeah. I've been waiting for the world to open up so that it would offer places like TuneCore and CD Baby and and and. There's only a few of them. There's only a handful. And I waited, and one day, so can put out their newsletter, and it showed all the people about a year and a half ago that you could go to the, to put your record, so to reduce your record. So I went to the mall and I examined all their royalty rates, and I went with TuneCore because they were the highest. And th- th- there's it's factual. That it is what it is. Yeah. You promote it, it's yours. You have to find the promotional fees, and if you're going to do something new, you'll have to get a Kickstarter to do that. However, you've got your distribution covered because you get it in all the stores. It'll be available. However, I think who's more fair? America has the means to take what is theirs legally, and it's huge because it's America. Canada has the means to do the same. They usually go to the mothership back in, in, in America, but if it's a Canadian indie label, the amount of... How do I put this? It's legal. The amount of subterfuge with how payments are accrued and non-accrued mm. are questionable, just as questionable coming for a smaller label as with a bigger label. It's just the only difference is multiply it by 10. Like with the population. Yeah, interesting. So in America, it's ten times worse than here. Because <laughs> oh. there's ten times more losses. Yeah. Well, let's look That's at... All. I, feel, I mean, I hate to put, reduce things to monetary value, but oh, no. I'm sorry, yes. That's my lesson. I, and I, like I said, I came into this interview like I, I'm an accountant right now. I'm not right. yet a recording artist right. again. And I'll get out of that mode. <laughs> and when I do, I'll shake it all off. And man, oh man, am I going to... I want to enjoy making this record like I did my first one. Because I didn't know all this crap. And then I was a rude awakening in about two to five years after 1990 when it was all big and hit. And I learned that if only I'd gone and hired an American lawyer, my points have been renegotiated and I would have bought... Probably I'd be buying a few castles by now. But I did not because I didn't know because I had a Canadian lawyer. And an American lawyer would have gone and said, Hey, buddy... Phenomenon clause. Let's go. So when you ignore it for two years, the statute of limitations prevents you from going back and turning any corners or renegotiating because you passed the two-year limit. Wow. In every contract. And unless you got a really good lawyer. I had a really good lawyer, but there's certain things I couldn't have got out on a baby deal. Yeah. With Atlantic, you know. I was signed to Atlantic Direct uh, through Ahmet and Twin Aram, who signed me as the head of A&R and his right-hand man um, to Ahmet Erdogan. And Doug Morris was the guy at the time, and he's a brilliant man, and he put his money where his mouth was, and we became successful. Thank you, Doug. <laughs> then he moved on to Universal. So, you know, the devil you know is still the devil you know, because right. Miles released My Arc 21 on Universal. So it's a small world, and you've got to be careful what you say and who you blow off, because it'll come back on you, you know, and you always have to remember who helped to get you there. I would not have gotten the success I have without Atlantic. So... I have to be very careful that I don't, I'm not that scorned woman, <laughs> you know, because they, I, I couldn't have done it without them. They worked very hard for me. How much control did you have over that first album? And, you know, when you signed with the label, I know you're a lot, a lot of at their mercies of what it is they no, expect 100%. of you. You had control? I, I have to say Atlantic was the best place for me to be. They gave me 100% control over the A&R. They left us alone to record the first record by ourselves. 
We left it alone to record the second and the third record by ourselves, and I made the decisions, and it was my decision with the producers. But, you know, I work very collectively with my producer, and it's between him and me. It's, we decide. I just don't let them step in, because that doesn't work for me. Yeah. I, in fact, record I own now, I released on a Canadian label, and I leased it for five years. And then when the five years was up, they said, okay, thanks, and boy, were they unhappy. But nonetheless, <laughs> I now understand why they were unhappy. Because yeah. they're making money. Wow. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Well, that's I you know. get caught in that. You know, the comedy of the day is today our, our voting day when John Oliver um, did a hilarious scenario. I just posted it on my Facebook page saying, I'm not going to go to jail and pay $5,000 for a, a fee fine for going to jail for telling you who not to vote for, but get up off your ass and become part of the 20%. <laughs> just vote. And then I posted that link, and it was hilarious. He's threatening them to take him to jail, they're throwing money saying, I'll pay the $5,000, take me to jail, just don't vote for blah, 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 and I can't say who, or I'm, right. in, I'm incriminated. Yeah, I've started to hear a lot more as, as I, you know, my, I've got a lot of friends that are up in Canada now, and just about Did their... They say, do they feel the same way about blah, blah, blah? Oh, blah, blah, blah is, is not on their good side. <laughs> so blah, 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 I think it's, you know, I think the writing's on the wall. Yeah. Whatever that means. It's just really a question of who's left over, and, you know, it's such a strange country for, you know, if, you, if I live in Ontario, so you want to get your best riding there, and sometimes the riding that is, would make the guy PM is not the best riding in your province, so you got to kind of, you really just got to take a leap of faith. Yeah, and just, just coming from me in the United States, it's actually almost refreshing to see that, you know, political silliness is not unique to America. You know, it, it hits oh, all... God, no. <laughs> it's just a lot louder there. Yeah. It's more, it's more, what did that say, banal. Yeah. It's more, never mind, I can't say anything because I don't want to be involved in the process, but <laughs> if you watch John Oliver, the first thing out of his lips are, and it's hilarious, but not for, not for I mean, it's really, I was shocked. I don't know how they're legally going to protect themselves broadcast on a Canadian station. Yeah. I saw them pay. Well, a, a, lot, HBO. You know, a, lot, a lot of times that's, you know, what people try to do now is to push that envelope and try to exercise freedom of speech in a unique and hopefully so humorous sure way. I did it last night, so I'm really curious to know how it, the effect it will have on blah, blah, blah. Yeah. All of the people that it affects, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. It's curious. And, you know, I, I like I'm... You'll notice I, I speak like a lawyer because I know the consequences of my actions, my words. I understand fully well that you just piss off some people in power and you're a small pawn under their thumb. Yeah. And so one must be very careful. And, and in my case, and in the case of Atlantic, one must be very benevolent or gracious or grateful for the opportunity they had. Because let's get back to the interview. I'm thrilled that they gave me 100% of creative control. I chose the photographer, the video director. The, they urged me, and they gave me a team of people to suggest, you know, but I was the, I was the main artist, and I was, I'm responsible for the success that I have based on my decisions. And now I'm patting myself on the back for having made the right ones, in yeah. hindsight. Yeah, you know, that's that's a good good I feeling to have. Decisions, and I'm very proud of my artistry, and I'm proud that I executed my artistry in a very ballsy. Sometimes she would say the only person in the room with balls is her. <laughs> People mistake me for men often, a lot of the time. I was manless for for a time because it goes with the territory. It's intimidating for a woman to have that much power and to have no problem with with executing it. I don't know. Some some guys see it as sexy. Well, you know. It, it's, it wasn't my time to find a man and start a family. I, I had a career, and I, I chose what I chose, and I don't look back. 
I don't regret. I wish I was a little smarter than I was in terms of, I wish I knew what I knew now, what I didn't know then. I think we all do. But, you know, <laughs> I do know better now, so I can make conscious decisions from this point on, and I'm not dead yet. And I still have a voice. Yes, you do. <laughs> I heard, uh, I've, I've listened to a lot of the tracks on, is it 85 BPM, your latest album, where yes. you, and that's, you, you re-recorded Black Velvet, as you said, and there's a lot of other original tracks on there. times. <laughs> Wanted to get it right for everybody? No, I just thought, you know, here's the thing. Miles Copeland taught me a lot about what he didn't do for me. I learned what to do. Mm-hmm. He made sure that Roxanne, because Sting wrote it, and he was going to get a slice, he made sure it was in every format possible. But he did not make sure it was with Black Velvet because he didn't see a slice. Yeah. I didn't write it. Yeah. So you want to bet I'm going to make sure I do every version possible and I'm never <laughs> going to stop singing the song because I make the money. That's a good thing. And I like the song. That's also And I helps. think it's one of those songs that nobody else is going to record. Uh, 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 let me rephrase that. It would seem as though... In the past 25 years, no one seems to have... Like, I called the first record, before it was 85 BPM, Alana Moss Black Velvet, because I thought people forgot who I was. Mm. And I, if I re- learned over time, I'd made a futile error, because people now call it Alana Moss Black Velvet. And you knew, when Simon said, yeah, don't tell me you're going to be singing Alana Moss Black Velvet, <laughs> Bobbity Boo, and I went, what? I realized I had something to do with it. Yeah. I did not know that before. I really didn't know. I was not aware. And now I'm honored that they've attached my name to it, because it's a very rare case that that happened. And I know the writers were pissed because they couldn't get a cover in the song. <laughs> but that's all turning around now. Yeah. Well, that's good. That gives, it's all you turning know. around. There's monetization, and people are, you know, ranks let go of the coffers of the, you know, there needed to be um, two floors, two New York City floors of lawyers to negotiate all the catalog for licensing. And it seems to be, you know, licensed now when people want it, they know where to go. Wish they'd come to me, though. I, did, I recut the track identically. <laughs> yeah, I think. Come to me, come to me, and I get paid. And it's exactly the same anyway, so what the hell? Yeah, there was. Uh, I, I think had when, when... Tyson recut it with all the same musicians, every single one right down to the drummer. And I sang it, and we sang the backups all the way through. You have to really try hard to, to notice the changes. Yeah, Styx did that with Come Sail Away a couple years back, because they it was the one yeah, hit song that they had where the you know, licensing was off. back a little bit of their own. Yeah. And in time, people will know that they can... It's not about undercutting Atlantic, but it's about undercutting Atlantic and get, getting... So the money goes to me. Yeah, it's about... It isn't, like you said, it's not about undercutting. It's just about making sure that the people who are directly responsible are seeing the, well, the, the share of the profits they deserve. I own that version. Right. But you want to know how bad, big and bad and ugly I got when they tried to put... It, it went on on YouTube, and they had these automatic R detectors. Right. And it, it came up as the original. I went, no, your life is not... <laughs> And I exercised my, flexed my muscles, and then I wound up having to get, because the publishers were all precious over it, and I had to get um, Christopher Ward and David Tyson to write me letters to say, hey, let her, get, let her mutually monetize. This is her rightful monetary share. Don't take that away from her. You're making all this dough, but she's making none. Excuse me? Yeah, they just basically gave, they, they wrote, put it in writing that was an, an ex, my exclusive right granted to me to make my fair share. And now, you know, I collect the paychecks. That's a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. There should be fairness. Yeah. And they were very impressed with my tenacity, I must say. I haven't lost an ounce of that. that. I mean, that first album is obviously the one you're the most well-known for. 
and it was a mix yeah, of different uh, songs. And it was the classic rock album, you know, Atlantic pushed. There was no money behind Rocking Horse. However, many people have told me, or arguably they suggest that it was a better record. I believe it was. I think, like, Song Instead of a Kiss is just such a haunting ballad. It's still something that sticks with me oh, to this you. day. thank you. I think it was way ahead of its time. Yeah, a very orchestral in its design, you know, a lot of different instrumentation in there. It was very complex. It was a lot of fun to do. It was my baby. I wrote it with, from a poem because I was so heartbroken over losing the love of my life and then um, I wrote a song in Barbados with Nancy Simmons that I couldn't write, so she stood a poem of, of a friend of ours, Robert Priest, under my lap, and out it came, it, spooked, it, it spouted forth. She could hardly move quickly enough to grab the chords. We wrote it, and uh, then we recorded it, and the record company went, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> so we went, yes, you're right, whatever. And David Tyson wrote a beautiful concerto piece. He said, Dave, I want you to write a concerto piece that's about seven minutes long. And start with a beautiful intro, orchestrated, and then the song comes in. We can cut it for the videos. So for six months, I'd walk in this place in the Hollywood Hills, and I'd hear this gorgeous piano music echoing into the hills. And I'd walk in, and I'd be enchanted and say, I'd, honestly, I would say, what is that? It's your song. It's your song. Every time, it's wow. your song. Because I would hear it get developed over the days. And then he put it in the studio. We got Paul Buckmaster, Elton John's arranger, Big Bucks, bring in um, the, the L.A.'s finest from their Philharmonic to come into the Capitol Records to record it. Even Mike Myers showed up for the day to have a good, because he's friends of ours. Christopher was a, a buddy of his and oh. mine. And he showed up with the writers, and we all took pictures, and it was fun. And, and then uh, the rest is history. But actually, we went back. And we didn't use the Paul Buckmaster. It was, a, I call it the $60,000 cello solo. Hmm. Because that's how much it cost us to rent capital records for the day to get the, to use only a cello solo. Wow. Because the record company said, we want to put an orchestra on it. And I said, really? Really? <laughs> and so we did it, and I spent sixty grand. And there's another down payment for a house we didn't need to spend. So whatever, because it came out of my take, not theirs. Yeah. They make all the millions, in this case, billions, whatever. <laughs> And, and and so on and so forth. Uh, David Tyson wrote it. He, he orchestrated it as I had wished. It was what it was. And, and I thought it was just pure magic. It still makes me cry. It's my favorite song to sing on stage at night. Oh, I can imagine. And speaking of which, when you do tour down in California, please let me know. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Yeah, I surely will. I miss America, but I needed to get a lot of dismay out of... I, I was very... It was very difficult for me, a difficult process for me, having... Been, I don't know how to say this, having been so naive, so as not, and, and then not have any of the, with the right agenda, taking care of my managerial and material needs. By the time I was making my third record, I was stuck in Metalworks waiting for a check for $500 from my mother to pay for gas to get to the studio. Wow. Because I didn't have an advance after it sold 10 million records. So that's, that's... politics. Yeah, I, I, I won't I, I'd be tired of America after that, too. <laughs> so I got the hell out. I'm glad that I did, because now I love the fact that I lived in L.A. I love L.A. I have fond memories. I let go of the disease of it. And now, and I really like my American fans. I really like America, and I like that America pays me so well. They, You know, they really, I think Black Velvet was the haunting country song that radio programmers decided was going to become country, and they, they changed their format. That, and I don't know the maybe other songs, of course, there always is, but right. 
it, it led the way. It paved the way for radio to understand that it wanted country. But Black Velvet never made the country charts. It was copied by a girl Atlantic suggested we cut the song phrase by phrase and the video frame by frame. <laughs> and and uh, and you can't sue your own record company yeah. for plagiarism. But I didn't know it. Their excuse was that they said they wanted to turn me into a Led Zeppelin where people copied them. And I said, well, let that happen of its accord. But it was a strategy that kind of backfired because it pissed me off. Sure. All right, once again, we interrupt what I'm hoping was an interview you're enjoying because we interrupt these things as you're enjoying them to try to, again, get you to buy stuff. But, again, we don't have stuff for you to buy. But we want to get into the habit of doing this because at some point we will have stuff to buy. So as we discussed last week, last week we did a PSA. Uh, Craig did an award-winning Smokey Bear. But I'm thinking there's another voice that he could do, another one that he could channel. And for those of you that are wondering do we rehearse this? It's going to become painfully obvious that we do not. But Craig, do you remember America's favorite crime dog, McGruff? Oh, uh, slightly. You remember Take a Bite Out of Crime? Yeah. Good old, good old McGruff. He was, he was a raspy, almost... I just He had know, a trench coat on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you think about McGruff, and I, you probably shouldn't think about him too much, here's, a, here's a, a, a dog in a trench coat hanging out outside, usually playgrounds and schoolyards, not creepy at all. Nothing. <laughs> telling people to take a bite out of things. Right. I, I, I don't think you want to focus too much on really what McGruff is. But, Craig, if you can channel your best inner McGruff and tell the kids at home to take a bite out of crime. All right. Kids out there, take a bite out of crime. See, that is McGruff. That is so clearly McGruff. And Craig has the shocked expression. I th- clearly um, ooh, throw good. this I, one at him I, out of nowhere. I nowhere. passed the test. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that is, that is our PSA for the day because I'm sure we have a lot of young listeners out there who were thinking about a life of crime, but now that they've heard America's favorite trench coat wearing slightly pervy dog, tell them to to take a bite out of crime. That's all done and over with. This is yet another way of saying please, please give us a sponsor. <laughs> We really would like a sponsor at this point. Or send us a product name you hate, because yeah. we seem to like to we, do that, too. We seem to like to bash products. Absolutely. <laughs> and again, we're just going to keep the list growing. Is, is, is there a product Is there a product that has wronged you in some way? Please let us know, and we, we will publicly shame them. That's what we're all about. The internet is nothing, if not a source of public shaming. And we have an endless source of sarcasm ready to go for those, <laughs> for those got, products. We got a big old can of sarcasm wedged someplace uncomfortable, and we're ready to pull it out. At a moment's notice. Ooh. That one, that one, that one's a little ointment gonna have to fix that. Anyway, okay, we're back. Sad. We are back to the interview. Don't leave me at home too long. Don't let me fall asleep unsung. Don't stay up with your damn TV. Somebody else might. At the time, as you were rolling in, it was, you know, when, when there were female artists out there, they were typically sort of the teeny bopping, you know, pop music synthesized stuff. And when your sound exactly. hit, it was and definitely not that. It paved the way. Radio said, hey, you know, this is a crossover song. The first one's Elvis Presley. Ironically, it's, it's you know, Moniker. Mm-hmm. And, or at least it's namesake. And uh, who it's about. So it's another irony. And I oftentimes felt, performing that song all over the world on many stages, I often felt him peering over my shoulder. That's very cool. Yeah, I really did. I felt this strange vibe and the bass player and the drummer kicked in a groove and suddenly with only two musical elements and a voice, you had 
something very magical happening in the room. And then I could feel Elvis over his shoulder saluting me. Many times I allowed that to get me through the night. Was was it the young Elvis or the or the later years fat Elvis? <laughs> um, I would have to say Elvis spirit. Just, there you go. Let's not take that away from him. Oh no. You know, Elvis was, was really you know he was really. I was never a fan as the writer was when he wrote the song. I became a fan over the years. I have tremendous uh, honor and respect for him. I would never uh, joke in in a. I don't use his shortcomings. I would prefer to see the Elvis. Uh, as a young guy who made sure that there was a black guy on his sessions, yeah, he'd probably straightening their tie. Yeah, if I mean, you know what I mean. Oh yeah, and it, one of the things that is unique about him too is that he has that ability to be both the sort of grandiose, you know, showman, but also just the the very chill, very relaxed, you know, sit in the studio and make it. Yeah, Mama's baby left him crying in the aisles. Yeah, man. she left. You know, he's really quite a work of art. My favorite time to remember him is that um, One Night With You television series when he's dressed all black leather and he's lost all that weight and he's putting it out. Yeah. And they were worried about how divorced he was from the audience, so they sw- gathered all the girls to sit beside him and, and like some Greek god, and, and he kept on trying to stand up, and it was sexy as hell. Yeah. It was a really wonderful performance. I, I got to work with the guy who directed the, that TV special. Is many years ago, and one of the things he said was that Elvis really called the shots on that one. Is he said, "Okay, let's you know clear the stage and just have a couple of us here doing our thing." Elvis knew what he was doing. Yeah. Oh, always. He broke ground, you know, and so maybe that's kind of why I got the from the gentleman on the stage when I would sing the songs in the spirit world. Yeah. If I imagined it, then so be it. Yeah. So what are some of your other nice memory to have? Yeah. Oh, it's great. And I'm honored now. You know, I know it's something that. In, inadvertently, I've never heard. I I know that the Presley family is probably very, you know, smug. Like I think I overheard once a very young Lisa Marie claiming that she wished she'd sung the song. You know, yeah. and, and rightfully so, she should have. Yeah. However, would it have been the success it was? That's debatable. I don't know. I don't know. You're, yeah, I think I have to have take some hand in it. I think so. Your voice does does lend a lot more to those lyrics than just the lyrics themselves. So yeah, there was notes on the page, and I did what I did with them. I'm still kind of like, well, that's pretty good. It's just so relaxed and so at ease. You know, I have a, a, an ingredient for young singers, and I say, don't put the sex into it. Then it's not sexy. Yeah, it's got you've gone too far. Leave a little skin, you know, little, little, even up to the imagination. Yeah. You really just have to get a very relaxed vibe. That's sexy. Yeah. If you're really, really relaxed and you don't care. Anyway, the song's got nothing to do with sex. It's about a baby, about mama cradling the baby in her arms. I'm whispering in her ear, sweet nothings in his ear, sweet nothings, and I'm burping him on, on my chest, and I'm singing the song, la li la li la It's really got to do with, with mother and child. So the utmost of sensuality. Yeah, I just I remember when you appeared on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and uh-huh. yeah, and you, and you wore a trench coat the whole time. I mean, you you know, I don't I know wore, again. What I designed for my Lover of Mine video, it was a sheep herders, a suede moss green, like the color of Ireland, sheep herders, like a. Um, what do you call it? A duster. Yeah. Like a, a like a, you see something in Australia or, uh, you know, the, those movies made by that guy, this phenomenal director who does Men in Black. Yeah. That kind of a thing. A duster, Australian or Irish duster. 
um, specifically, and that was our saying of mind to break a single, which didn't do anything in America. It was time to hang up the hat and make another record. But I went on the show when that was my garb because I didn't need to pour it on them. Right, and that yeah, and that was I just what, needed to stir and sing. Yeah, and you know who taught me that? Who? Well, I think I inherently knew it. I, I was very shy and didn't want to stick my boobs in their face. I wouldn't throw, ca- throw the camera because you can, you can work all the angles to make it look fantastic, and then you can cut out what you don't want so it's not porno. Mm-hmm. But um, I really wanted to maintain um, young ladies, young women, to be non-offensive with their body parts. I wanted to maintain a, a classy element. And then when I was performing for Robert Plant, opening up for Robert Plant, his suggestion was just move one hip to the other. You don't need to spin all over the stage. He was right. Yeah. Uh, he said moving from one hip to the other is says, oh, that's all you need to give him. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's called less is more. You know, by what you don't give, by not spilling it out and giving being the Olympian of vocals. You know, Celine Dion ever, and, and what you know is uh, the girl that sang do- notes only dogs should, could hear, um, <laughs> such, a, mer, mer, such an M, Mariah Carey. Oh, Mariah, yeah. After those wonderful singers, everybody was practicing their, uh, uh, you know, Olympian status with how many notes they could fit into a bar. Right. And then the song was lost. Now we're getting back to the written song, and it's all coming around from movie sound scores, movie soundtracks, where they're choosing songs that are really well-crafted and really well-meaning and really haunting and leave you with a feeling. And the people themselves are going viral on Lady Gaga went nuts because she touched them. Her lyric and her intent and it's dance material, but man, does she have a voice. It's well, it, it just it, it's a way of presenting yourself that's a little bit different than others, and it's going to change. And there'll be times, you know, you look at the world of TV and movies and music, and you see that the level of sort of how the boundaries are pushed will push forward and then kind of go back, and then push forward and then kind of go back. It's never like a constant, steady push of let's no. see what we can expose. No, it is, and it's trendful. You know, it, I think it's got to do with when people get too much in their face, they then go and divorce it, and they look for the innocence. Yeah, and then when they get uh, too full up when that exceeds its limit, they go back to the sex. Yeah. And I don't know what, where we're at now. I think we're in the middle. I think now that Justin Bieber's grown into a man, we have to see that his proportion, you know, his um, <laughs> crown jewels, the size of his crown jewels get photographed. It's of game course. over. Yeah. You know, it's now back to the innocence. Yeah. And, I, and, and the public has a way of sort of voting that. You know, they they will vote that with their with their music sales and with their media sales, What what matters to them and what doesn't. All I know is that popularity, or it seems to, I've always been somebody that, that prided myself in loving the popular song. So songs that pop radio are what I tried to write for myself or had written for me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do wrong, because apparently what at first I was told was never going to get airplay, then became too commercial. Yeah. And now it's rigor. It's now concept. <laughs> and so I'm a part of that team, and I love that. You know, and and all I know is I was playing something that made me feel good, and that shows so in the feels music. Good to me, not that I'm any judge, but if I got to sing it and it feels good to me, then it's going to sound good to you. Yeah, it definitely comes across in the music. Well, I hope so. I'm very proud of the 85 BPM because I paid for it. I hired the producers. I hired the musicians. I sculpted every single deal. I, they, all the performances are paid for. 
everybody's finished off, it's mine. That's awesome. It's a good feeling, I'm sure, to have. Well, it's also really good. It's a good record. There's yeah. good songs on it. I didn't have the millions to promote it, but it doesn't matter. They live on. They right. find their homes. Right. People will come forth. Now that I own my own publishing, people will come forth. They'll, put it, they'll find homes for it. It'll, once I get a new set of uh, new blood on the tracks, licensing and, and selling what I own, it'll be a new world. Right now I'm watching, um, in the last, only in the last year, three different versions of Black Velvet have been played on New Girl, Scream Queens, and just the, over the weekend I was having, uh, you know, throwing stuff back and forth with Christopher in, in Toronto. I think he was coming to Toronto. And I said to him, oh, no, like this. A fan posted on my page, uh, the lovemaking scene from the Pumpkin Patch episode, uh, season one, episode five from Screen Queens. And the girl stops in the middle of lovemaking and she says, this is the most, she says, oh, my God, is this the, this is the most sexual song ever written. And then they go back into, <laughs> and Black Velvet plays. So, of course, I see my take, and so does he. We all see, a, you know, a, a, a pretty much a third share. Right. Because I'm the artist and they're the writers. And it's it's really wonderful how um, that's the way it's, it's working out. It's in all fairness. Mind you, had they used my version, I would be the Atlantic Records recipient, if you know what I mean. Right. I'd be making the lion chair. <laughs> whatever. I'm putting that out there. Am I putting that out there enough? Is it in, is it, are you going to keep that in a couple times? I, I, I got that message across. Definitely, definitely. I really, my dream is to be independently wealthy so I can call all the shots and do what the hell I want, where I want. You know, I, mean, yeah. I don't want to have any financial constraints. Yeah, you're not alone in that dream, believe me. And part, you know, part of the reason why those of us that do podcasting are that we don't want to be under the thumb of some, you I know, company or whatever else. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's great. It's, I think what is wonderful is that the universe has decided, technically and schematically, that Christopher, Dave, and I will share our cut of what we put into the song Created. That seems fair. So it's wonderful, and and it makes them feel less guilty. Just believe you me, they don't like the fact that I did all the work I did to make them rich, and I don't even have a house. <laughs> and they're on their third. So it's you know it really comes down to that. Well, look, I'm gl- I'm glad to hear that you've got your financial stuff straightened away, that you're playing the role of accountant. But I really do look forward to when you get back to the role of musician and singer I will, and songwriter. You know what? I'm using the time. Uh, I, I'm I don't ever I, I don't dismiss my creativity. Uh, I wrote a song today called "Permanent." I'm on permanent pause. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Either that, or don't make me your permanent cause. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, per- I'm on permanent pause. Well, be sure and let us know when you've got that new album ready to promote. When you've got a tour ready to promote. When you come and see us in California, I want to. I want to hear you live. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Kevin. Oh, thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed the interview process. Hope it wasn't too painful for you. Oh, not at all. I, you can see I'm a blabbermouth, and I did enjoy it. I hope I didn't come off sounding like too much of a crotchety old Canadian. It's time once again for our shameless pandering to hipsters and audiophiles alike. Here's Kevin with today's Vinyl Fetish. Yes, it is time once again for that vinyl fetish that we love so much. I hope you all enjoyed Alana Miles. This week, we do have next week's guest, another female vocalist, this time from the world of jazz. The lovely Tessa Suter will be joining us. So here's a little peek at her vinyl fetish about what music makes her feel something. I absolutely love to get to Spain. That's a great Miles Davis album. Yeah. That you can listen to from beginning to end, just 
sit there and listen to the whole thing. I also listened to um, Keith Jarrett's The Cologne concert a while back. I just sat down in front. I have nice speakers. A friend gave me some very nice speakers. And I have a sweet spot. I don't know if you are audiophile. You sound like you might be. But, you know, I sit in a... Billy set it up for me so that my seat is right where the sound stage and all this kind of silliness <laughs> is perfect. And I just sat down and listened to it from beginning to end. And it's a journey. And then my very favorite album probably of all time is Wayne Shorter's Native Dancer with Milton Nascimento. And that really was my introduction to jazz. I would also listen to that. I mean, there's so many songs you can listen to. Sure. So many albums, sorry, that you could listen to like that. Yeah. Well, I'll have to seek that one out next time. I, I tend to go, I don't know how long you've been out here in Southern California touring, but there's a big record store in Hollywood called Amoeba. And they've got oh, one. They've really? got yeah. They've got one in San Francisco too, I believe. Uh, but that's they do have one in. They have Amoeba Records in San Francisco. Yeah. yeah, it's the same. It's the same group. And so whenever I have have time and cash to spend, that's usually where you find me is in their vinyl selection. And you oh, know, wow. yeah. And I really like we you know. We do that too. We do that a lot. There's a place in uh, New Jersey called Prince in Princeton called Princeton Record Exchange. Oh, that place is packed. Yeah. And I said, I just, I really like it, and they've got, you know, they have the whole setup, but they also have these cardboard boxes underneath sort of the main displays where everything's, you know, a buck or two bucks or whatever it is, and I'll walk out of there with, you know, ten albums for twenty bucks and give each of them a listen. It's just, it's just so nice to have that feeling, and yeah, I guess I'm, I'm an audiophile. I keep trying to find the perfect record player and try to find, you know, the right set of speakers to go along with it. Oh, so. yeah, you are. You are. <laughs> you. Sorry. I know. I know. <laughs> You know, I've, but they're I've, selling them now, new. I oh, was yeah. Barnes and Noble the other day, and they were all this new vinyl in there. Yeah, I just picked up the latest Don Henley album on vinyl. Oh well, there you go. And just yeah, to, you can get them all, I think. Yeah, just just to, just to get a listen, and it's, you know, I said it's just there's something about that experience. You know, when I was in college, I was a DJ. And there's something, ah. there, yeah. There, there's something about putting the, you know, the the needle to the vinyl and hearing the the pops and the scratches and everything else. I it agree. really makes it more tactile. But well, that's yeah, cool. I love vinyl. Another vinyl I would recommend, which I have, is is Mark Murphy's Raw R A H. Hmm. That's an incredible album. Well, now I have a, a bunch to seek out next time I'm out wandering <laughs> about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes, the, the, exactly. Uh, yeah. It's it's a it's a never ending hobby, you know. Once you find one, then it leads you to another, and leads you to another, which is always kind of fun. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I actually came to the vocalists like Sarah Vaughan, Elton Sherwood, all those people via this one album by by Wayne Shorter, the Native Dancer, because then I discovered Milton Nascimento, and I found an album of his. Well, not his, but he was on an album with Sarah Vaughan. Hmm. And so my introduction to Sarah Vaughan, another great album, is Brazilian Romance. And then from that, that led me to the others. I was like, oh, there's another person <laughs> called Ella Fitzgerald. You know, that oh, kind yes. of thing. <laughs> so it was amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I'm inspired. You know, if I go out and hear live music, I'm always inspired by that. Um, I'm inspired by, you know, obviously the classics like Miles Davis or... You know, Sarah Vaughan. In fact, the more I listen to Shirley Horn, the more I listen to the, um, you know, the so-called, and, uh, and quite rightly, greats, like Sarah Vaughan, Ella Fitzgerald, Carmen McRae, 
I, the, and the more I know about music, the more I learn, you know, from being a musician, the more I appreciate what they're doing. And that, that's very exciting. So you're just rediscovering and re, being re-inspired over and over again. But in terms of new music, there's this young woman, well, probably not that young, actually, but she's incredible. She looks young. <laughs> She's called Yun Sun Na, Y-O-U-N, and Sun, you know, S-U-N, and then N-A-H. And she's Korean, and she lives, I think, in Paris, possibly. And she used to work in fashion. I don't know if she was a journalist, but she's, I, I sort of identify a little bit with her, because she was a journalist, and um, so was I. And she is a really exciting singer, and it... She takes, like, nine-inch nails or just weird music. You wouldn't necessarily... It's, it's not quite jazz, but it, it is in a sense because mm-hmm. she's obviously improvising. And it is... It's, I love her. I, I went to saw her when she was at the Blue Note not long ago. And she knew who I was, which I was just over the moon. I couldn't oh, believe sure. it. She gave, she gave me three albums of hers. <laughs> but she's, she is... I really, really admire, and it reminds me, you don't have to fit in a, it's not about fitting in a mold or being easy to sell. It's just being you. you. That's that's the best thing you can be is yourself. And if you do that, in a way, it doesn't matter if anyone buys it or not, because you're really, that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it because you, you need to express yourself and she's a reminder of that and it's beautiful I, I think what she does is just beautiful I'll have to check her out yeah check her out because she's she's really a lovely soul I think hmm. beautiful person what can I tell you I've been doing this podcast for a little over a month now and if nothing else it's allowed me to chat with beautiful talented people so I don't know about the rest of y'all but I'm enjoying this podcast life Please join us next week for the full Tessa Suter interview. I guarantee you will want to listen to it. She has a lot of cool stuff to talk about, and I'm happy to let her talk about it here on the podcast. Please join us then. Until next time, this is Kevin saying, get off my lawn. This has been the Get Off My Lawn podcast, brought to you by Nobody Yet. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Get Off My Lawn Pod. Check out our SoundCloud at Get Off My Lawn Podcast or subscribe to us on iTunes for the latest episodes. Questions or comments to suggest a guest or to offer us fat wads of cash in exchange for promotional consideration, our email address is getoffmylawnpod at gmail.com. The theme was composed and performed by Brian Weideman. Check out his music at www.worldbride.com. That's W-O-R-L-D-B-R-I dot com. The logo was designed by Julie Contreras at Urban Bird Design. Go to urbanbirddesign.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend.